0: Hey, what's up everybody? I am just super excited to join with you today. A huge shout out to those of you who are watching from San Jose, especially for those uh, who are joining us in our San Jose campus uh, for the very, very first time. God bless you. And, and a huge shout out to all of you who are watching from across the country and across the world, vis-a-vis uh, social media and all the different ways that that expresses itself. I am excited about kicking off this series, perhaps given the historical and cultural context in which we're living in, it is perhaps the most important series that I have taught so far. I'm simply calling it Back to Basics. So today we're going to look at the question, who is God? All right, let's jump right into our teaching today. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, one of my favorite passages of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light. He saw that the light was good. And so he separated the light from the darkness. And there ends the reading. God bless. Lord bless this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, guys, every major expression of life anchoring our culture, our history, and our shared human endeavors, every one of them has a fundamental, or should I say fundamental, building blocks that must be developed and mastered in order for us to continue to thrive and excel in any particular endeavor. For example, basketball, one of my favorite sports, there are basic fundamentals that whether you're playing basketball in middle school or whether you're playing for the NBA uh, final championship, there's some basic fundamentals that you just have to master. And you're always going deeper and you're always trying to excel in these basic fundamentals. On The offense side, it's about shooting and dribbling and passing the ball. It's about running and finding your position down the floor on the defensive side. It's about blocking and screening and stealing and uh, knowing how to take charges and knowing which defensive scheme is, uh, is being played as you are defending, like zone or whatever the case might be, right? And the better you get at these building blocks, the more you excel, and if you're really good, you'll end up NBA (laughs) Finals champions. Now, here's the deal. Just because you were the champion last year does not mean that you'll be the champion this year because you got to keep excelling. Now, ask me how I know. (laughs) Because my Warriors were champions last year and they got, uh, you know. Okay, you know the story. (laughs) They're not in it for this year. Somebody else. The point is, We figure out what these building blocks are and we keep growing. We keep developing in those building blocks. Now, if you're not an athletic uh, fan like I am, perhaps music is your thing, right? But there are some basic building blocks that whether you are a vocalist or a violin player or a piano player, that you just got to know and learn how to master. Maybe it's pitch and rhythm and melody and harmony, dynamics, techniques, uh, you got to know something about expression and interpretation, all of that kind of stuff, regardless of what instrument you may be playing. Basic building blocks. And as you grow and you get better, more efficient, more effective, you're still working with those basic building blocks. You get it? So let me ask you the question What are the fundamental basic building blocks of Christianity? What are those? Those basic building blocks that essentially makes you and me a full-fledged, faithful Jesus follower. And why do those blocks matter? How do those blocks matter in our lives? That's what we're going to tackle over the course of the summer. This is a summer series. Back to the basics. Now, let me call your attention to the oldest... uh, christian creed uh in existence it's simply called the apostle creed we use it ultimately as uh the creed that we ask people to affirm the tenets therein if they are to be partners here at mbcc Uh, it is perhaps the most ecumenical creed in that it joins together in faith so many expressions of the christian Uh, family across the rest of western world. If you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, you know something about the Apostle Creed. If you grew up as a Presbyterian, Episcopalian, so forth and so on, you know something about the Apostle Creed. The list goes on and on. And so let's look at it together because contained herein in this creed will be, are the fundamental building blocks that I'm going to be talking about across the course of the summer over the next several weeks. Here's what the Creed says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Now, if you uh, grew up in, a, in, a, in a, one of the traditions that I've noted, uh, perhaps uh, you remember saying he descended into hell, which was really the Greek word that is translated into the place of the dead. So, if you're looking for that in the creed, that's we just use the literal translation, place of the dead, uh, and you may have said, "I believe in the Holy Catholic Church." It was uh, not the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about Catholic, meaning Christians everywhere. So you saw you see, you're looking for those distinctions. There it is. That's the, that's why we use the basic words. But herein in this creed uh, are the basic fundamental building blocks of what it means to be a Jesus Father. I want to just explore not only what they are, but over the course of the weeks to come, why do they matter? How do they empower your life? Now, I would to encourage you to go to our website, uh, which is here on the screen. And you're going to see our vision and values, but you're going to see the Apostle Creed. And I encourage you, particularly those of you who are parents, with your kids, go through this creed, Highlight some of the things inside of the Creed that you may have questions about. And then send me an email. My email address is right here. And if you've got some questions generated from this particular creed, uh, I would love to entertain your questions as we move across this uh, season of teaching. And by the way, there's an expanded version of what we call our confession of faith. I encourage you, a lot of people, you haven't visited this page, our vision, our values, the creed, and then our confession of faith. Take some time. Read it through. Read it through as a family. Read it through with your friends. And, uh, And we love to... Uh, to engage you, particularly around the Apostle Creed. That's what I'm focused on this time as we move forward together. All right. So send me your questions, by the way. I'm just saying that. Send me your questions if you've got questions generating uh, from the Creed. Now let's get started. So today, I want to start with the question, who is God? Next week, I'm going to look at the question, who is Jesus? The third week, I'm going to look at who's the Holy Spirit? Uh, and, uh, so that's what we're looking at over the course of the next three weeks. So let's begin this notion. Who is God? The creed, which rises straight up out of the Genesis text that we're going to look at in just a few moments says this about who is God. Uh, and it it says it in a declaration of faith. I believe in God. Who is this God? He is uh, they, they refers to him as the Father, meaning there's a relational element to him. Almighty, full of power, the maker and creator of heaven and earth, the ultimate source of all life. Who is God? It rises for us straight out of Genesis 1.1. Here's, here's how Genesis 1.1 begins. In the beginning, God. There it is. God, the ultimate source of everything, in the beginning, God. Now, let me begin by just suggesting that uh, in the opening chapters of Genesis, we find a word, can you say a word, a word about God. And we often can, you know, you can create libraries, really, from as you unpack this word about God, and I'm going to talk about a few other aspects in a few moments, but really, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a word word. You know, the story is told about the little boy uh, in uh, the first grade. He called his teacher over uh, and his teacher uh, he, he said he needed some crayons. And the teacher says, well, you need crayons. He says, I'm going to draw a picture. She says, oh, wow, that's great. She says, what are you going to draw a picture of? He says, I'm going to draw a picture of God. She says, um, you know, nobody's ever seen God, so nobody knows what God looks like. <laughs> and the little boy said, well, they will. <laughs> they will know after I finish drawing the picture. <laughs> in a unique sense, we all kind of draw our own pictures of God. Jesus is the unique picture of God. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, but Genesis begins to paint the outlines of God, the God that we, Jesus follows, Christians, uh, believe in. And the first thing to know about Genesis is the distinction between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They give us two different pictures of what we call creation. Genesis 1 is a kind of a poetic um, unfolding of the revelation and truth about uh, creation. Uh, it, it really depicts God, Elohim. That's all your God says, God says, God says, Elohim, God, the all-powerful one. He's so powerful that he speaks and universe begins to explode. Galaxies break onto the scene. Mountains rise up. Oceans begin to, to swirl. Bees begin to fly. And it's just, it's, it's just about him speaking. Roses bloom. Powerful God. In Genesis chapter 2, rather than being a poetic expression of revelatory truth, we find it in a narrative form, and this emphasizes the Lord God. The Lord uh, pulls us close, and we see a, a God who, who longs to be in relationship, and, and, and the First picture is a God that is so powerful that God speaks and lights explodes and all the different aspects of creation comes into being. But the second picture of God is a God that is so intimate until the Lord God is described, Yahweh Elohim, is described as one who uh, breathes into the nostrils of humanity, as one who forms as one who plants, who's personally involved. This is the writer of Genesis painting a powerful, remarkable picture to answer the question, who is God? And um, I might suggest to you that for those who are mature in our faith, as we look at the Genesis expression of creation, There is no conflict, I want to argue, between faith as displayed in Genesis 1 and 2, about the creation, and science. Here's what I mean. Science answers one set of questions. Genesis 1 and 2 answers a different set of questions if you If you want to know about anthropology and history and the laws of physics th- those are the questions of science to talk about where are the dinosaurs in the unfolding history of 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 the world and humanity. Well, that's a that's a question of science. You don't bring that question to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's not the question that, 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 that the writer in this 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 moment of revelation is trying to, to deal with here. If you, if you want to know about, about how does the laws of physics work, you, you don't bring those questions to Genesis 1 and 2. Questions about motion and thermodynamics, although one might argue is here. You want to know about the mathematical principles. The Bible is full of math, but you're not going to bring that question or those questions to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 ask a total different set of questions that science doesn't deal with, have no answer for. They're not combative with one another. It's just that they're focused on different things. Genesis asks a different question. Here's the question that Genesis seeks to answer, rather. Where did all this stuff come from? Right? Right. Who created the laws of physics? Don't just ask about dinosaurs. Where did animals and flowers and plants and the spinning planet, where did it come from? How did it get here? One of my uh, favorite quotes uh, is a quote by John Horgan. And he wrote this. God is the answer to the ultimate question. Why is there something Rather than nothing. You know, modern, uh, modern theory, one modern theory is that everything that we see comes out of random chance. Atoms were kind of just moving around. We don't know where the atoms came from. We don't know how, how they got programmed, but they were just kind of moving around. They bumped into each other. This is this oversimplification of sharing. And then there comes the big bang, random chance. It comes out of a place of luck. But Genesis says, no, that is not the case. That is not the case. As a matter of fact, uh, when we think about what Genesis says, in the beginning, God, and everything else comes. The first insight is that God is the God that we believe in, that Genesis talks about. is a God that is. He's eternal. That means that yesterday God is, today God is, tomorrow God is. Uh, God always is. Uh, the writing in Revelation describes it this way. God is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning of all beginnings. He's the end of all endings. He is the parenthesis within which all life and creation tends to exist. God is. The second insight that I would suggest God creates the heaven and the, earth, the heavens and the earth. And that is to suggest that God is the source of life itself and everything that makes life possible. There's one more thing about who God is. It's wrapped up in what the Jewish community calls the Shema. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The God who creates Everything and all is not multiple gods. God is one. Now we're going to return to this in a few weeks when I talk about how this one God is expressed in a triune reality. But the God that we, Jesus, followers worship is in fact one God. We're monotheistic. And here's, my, uh, here's what the Bible ultimately teaches us, that every culture and every era and every time, uh, has caught glimpses of this one God. You know, when I was a kid, I used to be living in the country. Sometimes I'd visit various people's homes. And sometimes I'd be lying in a bedroom and there would be a tin roof over. Uh, that was the roof was made out of tin. And the, the, the nails would, you see the nail holes in the tin roof. And at night, when you're lying in the bed, the lights of the stars would would work its way down through the nail holes. So there'd be there'd be splashes of light coming into the room through the tin roof. I couldn't see all the stars out there. I, I, I couldn't see them in their brilliance, but 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 I had enough light to know that there was something bright beyond the tin roof. <laughs> that in every creation, every culture, God gives some light. So that we might know that God is. Now, a wonderful, fascinating example of this is that when Paul went to Mars Hill, the Apostle Paul, and, and in the Greek context, uh, they, had, they were polytheistic, so they had gods for all kinds of different things. Uh, but there they also, just in case they missed the God, they had a, they had a sign that says, to the unknown God. And Paul says, that one right there, yeah, yeah, that's the one true God. He ultimately will conclude who is revealed in Jesus, the unknown God. So what's the implication? Here's the implication. As long as I know that God, the eternal one, is one, it means that we need not be confused. I should never be confused by the fact that I'm, I should never... believe then somehow that I'm God and that I should be exercising God-like power over my life, your life, over the lives of people around me. You, you, you should never be confused with the fact that you are God. See, God is one God. He's not you, right? And so you should never be trying to exercise God-like power over your children, over the folk who work for you. I remember my nephew, Elijah, when he was really little and he and his brothers were at the house along with Lauren. And, and somebody was trying to tell, one of the kids was trying to tell Elijah what to do. And I remember Elijah saying uh, very proudly and very strongly, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Elijah was in a sense saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, you can't exercise God-like power over my life. This is an important thing to, to, to remember. That at the end of the day... One God. It's not the government. It's not the president. It's not your girlfriend. It's not the spouse who may be trying to drive uh domestic violence into your life with over-controlling. No, 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 no. You have to break through it's one God. One God. 1934 in Germany. Hitler and his regime attempted to co-opt the Christian church in Germany. They were trying to align the Christian church with its racist and nationalistic point of view and subordinate the Christian church to government. A fellow by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeff along with Karl Barth and some others, they wrote what is called the Barman Declaration. And in the Barman Declaration, the church declared that there is but one God. It is not the government. It is not Hitler. Come on now. And that one God is revealed in one known as Jesus Christ. Come on. Shaped by the authority of the word of God. And it is only to that one God revealed in Jesus. Is the church will give its allegiance to. You see it's important to know. That there's one God. And who that God is. That's a word about God. That springs from Genesis in the beginning God. Secondly, Genesis 1 and 2 gives us a word about God and creation that shapes how Jesus follows. Christians think about not just God, but this thing called creation. Genesis 1, in the beginning, watch this, God created the heavens and the earth. Can you say the heavens and the earth? First of all, note, heavens is plural. It's not heaven singular, it's heavens plural. It is to suggest that God is the one who creates uh, not just this world, not just this galaxy, but an unfolding universe with all of its, its countless galaxies stretching across what is visible and invisible. All of the countless worlds that are visible and known and unknown. That God is the ultimate source, the creator of the heavens. So someone asked me, well, what if next year some aliens show up from some other part of the galaxy. Doesn't change what the Bible says. Come on now, that this God created all, including those aliens. And somebody said it is only the arrogance of humanity that would suggest that God somehow has to limit his creativity as it relates to to human life to just this one planet in all of the galaxies. He is the creator of everything. It relates. So uh, I learned from my friend so heavens, everybody shout heavens. Heavens and the earth. I learned from my friend John Ortberg that this is really called a Maryism. A literary device that takes two kind of opposite parts and put them together to create a whole. It's kind of like if I say I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. Thick and thin. Two opposite parts What I'm really saying is, I'm going to be with you through all circumstances. When the writer says that God created the heavens and the earth, he's saying, God created everything. And now, let me just emphasize the word created. Can you say created? Yes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the Hebrew word for created in this context is used only with God. That actually, the Hebrew word actually is ex nihilo, ex nihilo, ex nihilo, which essentially means out of nothing, out of nothing. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of uh, creation stories that rises up out of ancient mythology. But this unique creation story here in this revelatory unveiling of the truth about God it's unlike any other in that we discover a God who creates from absolutely nothing. In the other creation stories of, of uh, ancient days, creation was always made from something. For example, it was a slayed uh, sea monster that provided the material to make the heavens and the earth in one of the stories. No, 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 not here. Part of what makes the God that we serve and worship so unique is he creates from nothing. Nothing. You know, there's an old joke that said that there was uh, that humanity finally reached a point uh, in the scientific community that it concluded it no longer needed God. So the scientists went and they had a meeting with God and they said, look, God, we no longer need you. Uh, but just to demonstrate that, as a matter of fact, let's have a human making contest. Uh, and let's see who now can make the best human being. God says, cool, but you have to use your own material. They say, cool. So the scientists reached down and got some dirt, and God said, no, no, you can't use that. That's mine. I made that. They said, well, we've got some DNA in the laboratory. We'll go start it. God said, no, 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 you can't use that. I made that. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? That we are extraordinary creative today, man, from art to transportation systems, you know, the new AI stuff that's emerging, ChatGPT. G.P., T3 and 4 and 5, and yet all of the magnificent items of creation that we make always starts with us using God's stuff. God's stuff. Only God has that unique ability to start from nothing and bring forth what we have. And then notice Genesis 1, 4a. It says this. Who is this God? Who is this God? Who is the God of the Christian uh, energy? Who is this God? Genesis 1, 4 says this. And God saw the light. The first item that he, he creates is light. He says, and God saw the light. And what it says? It says, and it was good. And this occurs six times in, with the six days of creation. And then on the seventh time, God looks at his entire creation. And then we find <clears throat> in verse 31, it says God looks over everything, and he saw it, and he says, no, he says, it's very good. Can you say good? When God uses the language, this is good, he's not necessarily talking about inspection. What we really do, what we really see here is the kind of the Sabbath rhythm of creation. Six days he works, seven days he rests. But in this case, it's six days he works, and after each day he delights. Uh, let 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 me frame it this way. When I was a small kid growing up, I had one set of duties at my grandma's house, which is usually external duties. And I had another set of duties, meaning chores, uh, for parents who may not know what that word is, chores, <laughs> at my grandmother's house. And my grandmother, like my granddad, would come along and inspect. And whatever it was that I was supposed to do, if, if I did it correctly, she would say that was good. It was, it was this notion of inspection. But she would always inspect because from time to time, I just might have the tendency when I was supposed to wash and fold the clothes and put them away. It could be that I just might take the clothes and ball them up and put them under my bed. Just might. She would have to inspect. It, 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 it could be that every now and then, I, I you know, every now and then, thank God for salvation, that when I was supposed to sweep the floor, it, it could be that I would sweep the floor and cover it with a rug. What's that bump right there? <laughs> so she would have to inspect. But that's not what ultimately is happening here. Jesus creates, God creates and he says it's good, creates and says it's good. This notion is good means that God is enjoying the creation. He creates and then he engages it. He delights in it. He experiences it. He enjoys it. It's good. So here's the implication of what I've just covered about this God that we, we catch glimpses of, we, we come to know in Genesis. First of all, in his enjoying creation, he teaches us that it is appropriate for us to enjoy all that God has created within appropriate boundaries. Yes. So all of the different pleasures that God has given us, it is appropriate for us to delight in those pleasures. We are called to enjoy creation, unlike some train of thought that is to suggest that the closer one gets to God, the farther away from pleasure that one pulls. Secondly, uh, because God created the heavens and earth, it means that, Creation has purpose it's not an accident its not a, it's, it's, it's not about luck and it means that you have purpose that you're not an accident that you didn't show up because of random chance that that you and I that we have purpose and that the creation has purpose and that and that this God has put us in charge of governing and caring for the creation so it is because of that we work for justice because where we can improve the creation we seek to do so it is because of that that we 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 invest in science and and promote healing of the body and mind and healing of the earth because where we can do a better job of improving what God has given us, caring for what God has given us, stewarding it, we are called to do so. And then finally, we are to do this without ever deifying the creation or people. Why? Because here's the bottom line. Some people would argue this material world, this is all there is. So live for wealth, live for power, live for sex, because when you die, that's, it's over. But no, 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 no. Genesis says there's more than this creative faith, that God created the heavens and the earth. There's, 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 there's more than this material world. So enjoy it, steward it, but don't deify it. We don't live for it. We live for God. And so we, we hear a word about God. word about God and his creation. And finally, this includes a word about God in human life. The last piece of this, 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life in the man's nostril, and the man became a living person. I love this. Here's the ultimate implication. God is intimately connected to each one of us. You know, Walter Brookman, the old Hebrew scholar, suggested that in this moment, you know, the Old Testament has lots of different covenants. But in this moment, God creates the real first covenant. It's a gift that he gives. The text says he gets close enough that he places his incredible lips Close enough on this dust, and he breathes into the nostril his own breath. In the Hebrew, the word breath, wind, spirit is all the same. Suggests that the wind and breath is empowered by the very spirit of God, and God gives a dimension of himself to you and to me. And that is what brings us to life, according to the Hebrew writer. That is the power of this God. It is a remarkable power, isn't it? And and, 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 and and in so doing, Brookman suggests that God somehow creates a covenant with us, which is to say that I'm wrapped up in your life, whether you recognize it or not, that when you're in the midst of hurting, I'm so wrapped up in your life that I feel the pain. When you're in the midst of confused and you're feeling lost, I'm so wrapped up in your life that I, 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 I feel the, 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 the notion of misdirection that you're going through, that, that, that that's how close I am to you. And I don't care where you go, what you do, nothing will break this covenant because it's a covenant that comes from me to you. That is how much I love you. And every breath you take is the proof that I love you. Every breath you take is the proof that I'm with you. Wow. So who is God? Well, God is the one who is completely powerful. He speaks in galaxies created. He's the one that is completely wise. And all of his intricate creation is all tied together in brilliant perfection. He's the one who is uniquely loving. He gives himself to you and he gives himself to me. And he is the one who the angels declare. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, all of heaven and earth is filled with his glory. That's him. Let's worship him. Amen and amen.